Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is The Church Needs More Valiant Men. The truth is the church has no shortage of men, but there is absolutely a lack of valiant men pastoring our churches and leading their families. And as we wage war against so many false and destructive ideologies in our day, this podcast is intended to accomplish two things. This specific episode, we're going to talk about honoring men that live valiantly and also calling all men to live a life of valor. And so, Aaron, maybe you could start out by explaining to our listeners why this episode and why today. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited about this episode in particular because I do have a heart for seeing men grow in their valor, their courage, their passion for the Lord. I'm also excited because I haven't been able to do this for a couple of weeks, as you know. I uh, had a minor surgical procedure to correct some breathing difficulties I've had. And uh, today I finally got the plastic pulled out of my nose and I'm feeling a lot better. I can now smell you, Chris. You Maybe smell, not better. <laughs> yeah, you don't smell very good. But uh, no, I'm, I'm grateful for it. It was, um, it was kind of a, a painless procedure, but I, I did have some sleeping difficulties for a bit. But it's good to be back. I've been missing um, the opportunity to be here at the church and serve in this way. So I'm just excited to be on the podcast with you and also to address this specific issue. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the reason why I thought this would be an interesting topic is because anybody who is um, aware of what's going on in culture today knows that we are in a massive series of ideological wars. We're fighting against so much falsehood. And unfortunately, as we fight against falsehood, false views of marriage, false views of the family, false views of employment, false views of masculinity, false views of the church and its mission and relationship to the state, and on and on and on and on and on. Many men, unfortunately, I think, are repeating the sin of Adam, which fundamentally was the sin of passivity. So we remember Genesis 3, where Eve was tempted directly by the serpent and when she basically bowed to that temptation, it says she gave some to Adam who was with her. So Adam was sort of standing at the side, playing the role of the proverbial dunce, saying nothing, not speaking out, not offering correction to his wife, not offering correction to the serpent. And because of that, Adam, as the federal and seminal head of his relationship and humanity as a whole is fingered. He's blamed for it by God. And out of that, of course, we have the second Adam, which is Christ that comes and and brings a a corrective to all of that. But as I've worked with men over the years and, and thought about my own life, one of the struggles that a lot of men have is passivity. There's just something in us. We, we, we want to fight on a certain level, but it's like, yeah, it's not worth it. It's too much pressure. Not sure what my wife's going to say. Not sure what my boss is going to say. You know, the kids might get upset at me, might get me in trouble with the law. So I'm just going to stay, stay quiet. I'm going to go hide in my man cave or tweet out passive aggressive tweets on Twitter or just pretend it's not happening or hope that someone else fights the fight for me. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the male sin of passivity. Mm-hmm. And we want to correct that. So I wanted to address this episode, uh, this topic in this episode because of that. And also because it's Remembrance Day in Canada. Mm-hmm. And this is a day, November the 11th, that we set aside to remember. And we often say, lest we forget. And unfortunately, we have forgotten so many of the lessons that our forebears wanted us to remember We've forgotten the price of freedom. You know, it's interesting, Chris, when you think about wars, we often picture wars in our minds as a clashing of swords or weaponry. But in actual fact, every single battle that's ever been fought in human history fundamentally is a clash of ideologies. Mm -hmm. Now, there's times when it's a bad ideology up against a bad ideology. 
That's true. But oftentimes it's a good ideology up against a bad ideology. It's some sort of a, a, a tyranny, some sort of an injustice seeking to be imposed upon the innocent. And out of that, the, you know, the swords start to be swung or the guns start to be shot. But fundamentally, World War II, World War I, uh, the Korean War, Vietnam War, these were wars about ideologies, conflicting ideologies, communism versus democracy or Nazism versus, versus liberty and freedom uh, or the, the value of every human being versus, you know, the, the actions of a genocidal maniac. And so we're, we're in a battle today and a lot of people still won't acknowledge it as such because they think, well, this, no, a, ba a battle is just a, a clashing of swords. No, we're, we are in an ideological battle today for the soul of Western civilization. And we're, we're hoping, of course, this never leads to a clashing of swords. But uh, this is our time to fight. Mm -hmm. uh, we're fighting mostly with our words and our actions and our refusal to consent to injustice, but we are in a battle. And I got to say, as I, as I think about Remembrance Day, I just want to, you know, they're, they're long dead, um, but I want to publicly acknowledge my own ancestors, um, three of them in the 1900s that fought in World War I and World War II. My great-grandfather, Harold Thomas O'Brien was his name, uh, went to Europe and uh, as a single man. Uh, fortunately, he met his wife there in Sheffield, England and brought her back as a war bride. But he was uh, pretty badly injured with uh, poison gas in the trenches of World War I. So he actually lived, I think, um, almost 20 years after the war but would often have relapses because of the damage done to his lungs and whatnot. In fact, there's an interesting story in our family history that he, he actually got a job as a grave digger in the Catholic cemetery in St. Thomas. And uh, he lived in the Catholic cemetery and there was a, a house there that was part of his stipend. So my, great, my grandfather was born in a Catholic cemetery, right? <laughs> But um, my grandfather would dig grave, great-grandfather would dig graves, and he was often so sick that I know there was one, maybe even multiple occasions, I'm not sure, where my great-grandmother would, would be expecting him for dinner, and she'd go look for him, and he literally was fallen into one of the graves that he was digging. Wow. But eventually it caught up with him, so he died, you know, at the age of 30, 39, which is, you know, fairly young, and left behind a widow and several, I think, six children. And then my other great-grandfather, John Edwin Hatch, he was... Um, a bugler in the Canadian, uh, I think they called it the Canadian Expeditionary Forces in World War One, and he was uh, killed in battle in um, in France. And then my grandfather, he wasn't killed in battle, but he served as a Canadian soldier in World War Two. And again, the benefit that he had was he went up to England for a little stint to visit some of his cousins, because if you recall, my great grandfather got mm -hmm. his wife from Sheffield, England. And lo and behold, he met my grandmother, same city. Wow. Uh, and brought her back <laughs> as a war bride. So two generations of Canadian soldiers um, brought their wives back from the same uh, city in England, which is kind of cool. But anyway, uh, so I'm just thinking about them, you know, and, mm -hmm. and two, of the, uh, two of those three men left behind widows and multiple children. And you think about like, if you died, mm -hmm. you, you're the father of young children, um, you know, there's the initial shock of your death, but that affects families for generations because now you have the primary breadwinners gone, the father figure, the home's gone. So war is not just a, you know, a sad thing because people die, but it has a generational effect. So that's why I wanted to talk about all of this on mm -hmm. Remembrance Day as we think about liberty and freedom and, you know, mourn our forebears who literally shed their blood for you know, so many of the blessings that we enjoy in our, our country and, and, and across the Western world. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned the title, Lest We Forget, I was thinking for some people, it might be that they can't even forget because they've never even been told in the first place. Uh, and so there's a, a value, obviously, for us to communicate these values on. And yeah, so as we, yeah, as we talk was. about valiant men here, when we read scripture, we meet all different types of men. Uh, we meet good ones, uh, some very bad ones. Yeah. Um, who comes to mind when you think of truly valiant men and 
maybe how do they shape your view of manhood? Well, the Bible actually uses the language of valiant men or men of valor, valor uh, in the scriptures. And um, especially in, in the old covenant, we have um, in 1 Samuel 14, when uh, Saul was going out to fight the Philistines, it says in um, 1 Samuel 14, 52, when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. Hmm. And the reason for that is because wise leaders know that they should surround themselves with valiant men. You know, valiant men help valiant men and valiant men breed valiant men. And so there's sort of a, a culture you can create, a camaraderie you can create. You can create standards and values. So if you, if you think of uh, the average person's perception of King Saul, and if you were to meet King Saul or observe him from a distance, and you say, hey, one thing I noticed about him is that he's always surrounded by valiant men. He's not surrounded by weaklings. He's not surrounded by pushovers. He's not surrounded by cowards or lazy men. He's surrounded by valiant men. Hmm. That must be a value for him. And of course, out of that, you shape the ethos of a nation. You shape the ethos of, of families. And then, you know, when, when Saul, uh, a few chapters later, was giving um, his daughter to David, he said to David, uh, only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. So, Saul understood at that point in time. I mean, he later fumbled the balls, kind of did a spiritual wipeout. But Saul understood at that time that fundamentally valiant men serve the purposes of God. That these guys weren't out there just swinging swords in order to gain acreage. uh, But they were swinging swords in order to stand for God's supremacy over their nation. And I think that's a good reminder. We're not just talking about creating men that are tough and strong and know how to get into fistfights and win. We're talking about men that are valiant because they serve the purposes of God. And that's unambiguous. It's very clear why they do what they do and who they live for. Uh, There's also another interesting event in first um, Samuel 13, uh, 31, where, uh, Saul and his sons are killed in battle and their their bodies are hung on the wall of Bet Shean in sort of northern Israel. And uh, they're dead, right? Mm-hmm. They're dead. And their bodies are being mistreated, but they were dead. They weren't going to be brought back to life. But the Bible tells us that there were, there were a series of, a number of valiant men that rose and traveled all night and remove the walls, the the bodies of Saul and his sons from the walls of Bet Shean, and gave them a proper burial. Now, you think about that, right? Why would men who are alive put their lives on the line for people that are already dead? Mm-hmm. Like practically, what's the benefit? Well, the the answer to that is they were principled men, and principled men are prepared to put their lives on the line, even if in the process they lose their own lives because they understood that even though Saul and his sons had did some stupid things and Saul in particular had dishonored the Lord at the end, that he was God's anointed and they needed to honor him as God's anointed. So they go and they remove the body. I, 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 when I was younger, sometimes I'd watch war movies and I'd you know, see Marines or whatever, or it's usually Marines because it's usually American television. And uh, some guy would get killed on the battlefield and three other guys would run out to get him and two of them get shot or killed in the process. And you're like, well, what's mathematically, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why not just say, look, um, we'll pick them up later or we just can't risk more lives. It just doesn't make, why would I get more men killed in order to bring back the body of a guy that's already dead? Well, there's a whole um, you know, um, psychology of soldier morale there that if you're going to battle and you know that even if you die, your body will be brought back no matter what, you fight differently mm-hmm. than if you think you're gonna be left behind. But the point, point of those illustrations are that uh, or is that you you make decisions sometimes on principles, you put yourself at risk 
regardless of the physical consequences to you. That's one of the marks of a valiant man. He doesn't just weigh the, the cost physically. He, he, he's driven by principles. He's prepared to give his life for a just cause. And then uh, one more illustration is um, in uh, Psalm 60. And uh, in, in verses 11 and 12, it says, Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. So I wanted to share that verse, uh, those two verses actually, because it's really important for us to understand that the kind of valor that we're talking about today is not self-sourced, but it's God-sourced. So there's a lot of tough guys out there that, you know, pump iron and shoot their rifles and talk loud and are braggadocious. And, um, you know, I'm not opposed to all of those expressions of masculinity, but at the end of the day, uh, even an older man who may be frail in health or a man who has physical disabilities that can't physically enter the fray can be a man of great valor, can be a valiant man for Christ if he finds the source of his courage and his boldness in the Lord and not just in his own ambitions or his own capacities. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned that, and just bringing up different types of men, we'd obviously be wise not to assume that every man who's willing to fight is necessarily meeting that definition of valiant. Right. Some guys might just be violent or rabble rousers, so to speak. Uh, and so maybe we can help our listeners think through the characteristics of what a truly valiant man looks like. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, yeah. Valiant men, um, aren't necessarily men who will ever take up arms. As I've mentioned, like valiant men aren't, it's not limited to sort of the 18 to 40 year old demographic of guys that are going to be called into literally into a battlefield. Uh, that's that's not what we're talking about. Uh, in fact, in Isaiah chapter five, there's a negative example of valor or or a valiant man given there. It says in verse twenty two, "Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, and valiant men in mixing strong drink." That's interesting because hmm. oftentimes. When you think of men that are sort of unhinged or out of control in their manliness, it's often associated with intoxicating beverages mm -hmm. or other sort of sins of the flesh. And there are fellows, you know, maybe even some associated with our churches that one might say on the, on the surface, oh, there's a valiant man, but really he's just valiant at stupidity. <laughs> you know, he's he's... He's a, he's a brawler. He's a big mouth. He's brash and irrational in his approach. He might be physically intimidating. He might be loud and outspoken, but he's not a man who's a man who's sober minded, mm -hmm. a man of poise. And so, uh, you know, even in some, some armies, some modern armies, one of the challenges is that you can, I mean, you don't want to re just recruit a bunch of poindexters mm -hmm. that know how to uh, look at maps and fix machinery. But at the same time, you don't want all your grunts and, you know, your privates, your corporals just to be guys that, you know, couldn't do anything else like working out the gym and like beating people up. So we're just going to throw them on a battlefield because then you have guys that can fight, but they're not principled. Mm -hmm. They're out of control. They're not sober-minded. Well, in the spiritual realm, this is true as well, and that is that, um, you know, we when we're talking about valiant men, we're talking about men that are bold and courageous and principled, but also are marked by self-control. Here's an example of a guy that sort of is uh, a little of each. We appreciate him, and we also kind of despise him at the same time, and that is Samson, the biblical figure of Samson. So, I mean, there's something about, you know, his strength, his size, his exploits, uh, very over-the-top responses to things. It's like, ah, that's, that's pretty cool. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a man's man, you know? Mm -hmm. 
and um, you know, he, he's he's just a fascinating guy. I remember reading little Christian storybooks about him when I was a kid in Sunday school. And, you know, he's just huge guys pushing pillars down. You're like, Oh, I want to be like Samson, you know, when I grow up. But the problem with Samson is that he, he had character, like major character flaws. He, he lacked self-control at times. He, um, he wasn't so great in the area of confidentiality. He shared too much information and it got him into trouble. Um, he was um, a loner. You know, he's always kind of pictured kind of off doing his own thing. He made massive mistakes in terms of who he married. You know, he was driven by the external beauty of women and not by really examining the heart and soul of a woman to see if she's a suitable mm-hmm. soulmate. And he gets himself into trouble because of his stupidity. So on one hand, he's a hero in the text because he was used by God as one of the judges to rescue his people, but at the same time, he had major character flaws. And what we want to see, we all have some character flaws, but we want to see bold, courageous, valiant men that are willing to do anything for the Lord, but at the same time are growing in wisdom and discernment and who are willing to work with teams who are and who are principled enough to to know okay yeah this this is a woman to pursue this is a woman not to pursue this is a career to pursue this is a career not to pursue uh you know they, they know what their limits are okay i'm gonna i'm gonna fight to this point but i'm not gonna fight to the point of stupid and so um yeah we we want to make sure that our 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 view of valiant men is not just you know, Tarzan or Samson, but it's a, it's a robust biblical view of what it means to be a man of valor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you talk about being a man of valor, um, I'm just thinking about the society we live in. Do you, this is kind of a random question, but do you think there's mess, less men of valor today because of societal influences, the domestic, the domestication of man, if that's how you would say that mm-hmm. living in cities more often, less, rural i don't know if that would make any difference and do you even think there's less men of valor today than there would have been maybe 60 70 years ago well this this is an interesting question um you know i i wasn't around 100 years ago but i was around almost 50 years ago and i you know i i know my dad my dad's generation i know my grandfather and my grandfather's generation like i'm old enough to remember when they would have been like my age. <clears throat> and um, uh, there's definitely been a feminization of men. So you you have more and more men dressing in a very sort of effeminate kind of way in culture. You would have seen that rarely, if ever, when I was a child. Um, and so that kind of speaks to the feminization of men. There's also, as you know, a lot of attacks in our culture on the stereotypical male um, where, you know, you, you even have, so for example, even in pastoral ministry, obviously we don't want to be bullies and uh, tyrants in the way we lead our people. But, you know, there's there's bloggers out there that will be all over you as soon as you demonstrate any alpha male characteristics. Mm. Uh, they consider that very, you know, un-Jesus-like, um, very non-Christian, very coercive, very manipulative. I don't. Uh, I think we need more manly men in the pulpits and in leadership in our churches. Mm-hmm. So I would say without question, in my opinion, there's been um, uh, an attack on maleness. There's been a lot of discussion about what it means to be a woman. Unfortunately, it's not typically a biblical discussion, mm-hmm. but men are attacked whenever they demonstrate any sort of um, uh, you know, traditional masculine characteristics like boldness, leadership, initiative, mm-hmm. these sorts of things. So, you know, men can get slapped in the hands these days for something as simple as opening the door for a female mm-hmm. or asking her to marry him or... Um, you know, a lot of fathers, you know, they're walking their daughters down the aisle. You know, they have to say, oh, her mother and I give her away. No, your mother's not giving you away as a bride. Your mm-hmm. father's giving you away. Mm-hmm. This he's the, he's the spiritual head of the relationship. He's leading his daughter down. He's giving her away. If that's not true, why isn't the 
groom being walked down the aisle by his daddy and given away. Hmm. So in, in, even in our marriages, we have these vestiges of this understanding of the bride being presented to the groom, but then it kind of gets messed up at the end of the aisle hmm. when the father tries to bring the mom into the mix as if somehow she's involved in giving her, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine with a, a, a mother giving her blessing to a marriage, but the father's the spiritual head. And I'm just, I'm speaking of a symbolism there, mm -hmm. right? The symbolism of yeah. the act, not so much, um, you know, the Bible doesn't give us a clear cut picture of how you're supposed to enter a wedding sanctuary. Right, yes. Um, and when I, as you know, for the past five or six years, I've taken under my wing eight to 10, sometimes 12 young fellows in our church, and I disciple them for a year, uh, meet about 25 times with them in a year. And uh, as I hear their stories and, and I get into conversations about something like, what does it mean to take initiative? Well, their eyes just light up. It's like, they just lean in. Like mm -hmm. they, they, have, they want to hear this because no one's told them. Mm -hmm. And then the second hot topic is how to pursue a woman. Their eyes just light up. They're like, we need this. Like there's yep. a lot of questions because they haven't been told how to do that. Yep. Uh, again, in, in a certain way to use the illustration, their hand's been slapped over and over and over again whenever they try to reach for any sort of leadership or take any sort of initiative. So I, I do think that's the case, Chris. And also to your point, and I could talk about this at length, you know, our, our educational system is interesting because we take little boys who by nature are, are active, want to climb trees and wrestle and fight. And we, you know, we put them in chairs and we, we, um, you know, tell them to sit down and shut up for 13 years, 14 years, and then we send them to university. And so a lot of, a lot of young men, they have no outlets for, shall we say, their rambunctious appetites. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, some fathers put their kids in hockey to compensate for that or baseball or whatever. But um, a lot of young men um, grew up with no hands-on experience. And so one of the interesting things I've been seeing in this new generation coming up is fewer of them are interested in, in university. Mm -hmm. there, there's almost like a, a, a turn, turning back to the hands-on. Like these guys want to frame buildings and lay blocks. And some of them are even talking about farming. And there's a certain um, kinesthetic energy that, most men have that they need to express. And that's sometimes hard to express behind a desk or, you know, being in school for 20 mm -hmm. years. So yeah, I've said yeah. a lot there, yeah. but I do think there's been a, a belittling of, of manhood and that's made it difficult for a lot of young men to figure out what it even means to be a valiant man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And our culture's idea of valiant uh, might be to come out with a certain, you know, expression of your gender or identity yeah. as an act of valiant bravery or something, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which is obviously not what we're talking about here. So what are some, as we talk and maybe continue that thought about characteristics or what are the marks of a valiant man? Maybe some men listening to this that are like, I want to become a valiant man. What are they, the marks of that? Well, I think overall being valiant is for Christ is about defending, standing for the values that God wants us to stand for and the people that God has put in our pathway to defend and to steward and to love on and to, to protect and to care for. So to be valiant is a values word. It's about standing for righteousness and justice but not just in some theoretical way to be valiant is also to take that and put it into practice by defending the people that God has stewarded to your leadership. So everyone, every mature man has influence. They have one or 1000 people under their influence. And to be valiant is to understand that your stewardship is to protect and to defend them from injustice, from abuse, from death potentially. And to do that th sort of through a grid work or based upon the principles that God's word spells out for us. Hmm. So um, to be valiant is to live justly. In uh, 1 Chronicles 18, 14, God's word says, so David reigned over all Israel and he administered justice and equity to all his people. 
Now, David unequivocally is a valiant man. Well, probably one of, if not, I would say in terms of his whole life story, is the most valiant man depicted for us in scripture, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we have a lot of chapters on David's life. Not perfect, definitely not perfect. Some Did some major nosedives, but he was a valiant man and he was driven by certain principles and certain beliefs relentlessly. And part of his valor was to ensure justice and equity to all the people under his care. So I would say that valiant, uh, the valiant man is a man that stands for justice. And frankly, Chris, we need more men like that in our culture because very few people speak up against true injustices. Mm-hmm. And sadly, we don't want to get on too far much of a bunny trail here, but whenever the world gets into social justice issues, they're usually things that are polluted with injustice. Mm-hmm. So always be a little bit, a little bit, or maybe a lot skeptical uh, of social justice causes that are unhitched from Christ's lordship. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the the racial stuff or the gender equality stuff or the financial equality stuff, a lot of these movements we've seen in the last decade in our culture, they sort of present themselves as righteous, but you find out there's a lot of perversion in them they are perverted with lies and polluted with false ideologies and agendas. And that's why I've often said, I don't hitch my wagon to any horse that's not hitched to Christ. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to go and jump on any bandwagon, as we say, for any of these social justice causes that doesn't have some connection to Christ. So if I'm going to protest abortion, I'm going to do it under Christ's umbrella. If I'm going to protest racism, it's under Christ's umbrella. If I'm going to protest inequality between the genders or whatever it might be, it's going to be based upon Christ's. Uh, but I'm not going to let some atheist or some godless fiend create his own organization and show up at his protests or rallies or put his profile frames on my Facebook page to, to somehow stand for justice because it's all polluted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's yep. a little sidebar. Yep. But valiant men stand for justice. Secondly, valiant man will defend will defend the weak. So uh, I don't really care if the listeners are offended by this. Women are weaker than men. Okay, period. Women are weaker than men. Now, are there exceptions to the rule? Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, you get 100 men in the room and 100 women in the room, and maybe there's five of the women can take down five of the men or whatever. But as a general rule... Like it or lump it, men are bigger, men are stronger, men are grittier. We don't necessarily live as long. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I think our wives at times have higher pain tolerances than us, especially in like the delivery room. Um, But the reality is um, our wives are smaller than us and they can more easily be taken advantage of. So here, here's an example of this. I, I've talked to my wife about this a few times. She's she's counseled women that have experienced sexual abuse and been raped and all that kind of thing. And, you know, my my own wife at times, you know, has expressed discomfort if if I'm not in the house, you know, I'm off on a trip or whatever and she's home alone or, um, you know, she wouldn't just sort of go out for a walk in the dark because she's a woman. She could get raped. She could get injured. She could get beat up or abused or whatever. And it's interesting to hear women talk about that because, Chris, I've never even thought about that. Mm-hmm. I've never thought, oh, I don't want to go out for a walk at night because I'm afraid of getting raped. Mm-hmm. Now, I suppose I could, but it's just it's just not even on my radar. Mm-hmm. I don't walk, I don't live my life in physical fear of other men or women. I just don't. It's just, I just don't even think about that. Now, if I was in a war zone, obviously, or I was in a real seedy neighborhood, maybe I'd think about it. But the reality is women women live in a different world than we do because they are more susceptible to f- physical and sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Not to say that it can't happen to men. I get it. I've been pastoring long enough. I get it. But we are just, we are bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, if someone's being physically assaulted, it's a man physically assaulting a woman, not mm-hmm. the other way around. So we have a responsibility then as men to use the stewardship of our strength to protect and defend women and children. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to apologize for that to the feminists. 
And we don't need to apologize to those for whom there might be an exception to the rule. You know, on occasion, you have a woman that's large in physical stature and a man that's smaller. But as a general principle, mm-hmm. valiant men are the, should be the first ones to step onto the battlefield to defend women against injustice. We should be enraged and infuriated when we hear of a woman that's been raped or sexually abused, not passive, not, well, I wonder what the reason for it was. And while the poor guy, maybe he, you know, he had some mental issues or, you know, maybe he had some uncontrolled urges. Maybe he needs some counseling. No, he needs a bullet or he needs a noose or he needs life in prison or whatever the, you know, depending on the crime. Mm-hmm. I have no problem saying that. Why is it that men are afraid to say that? Historically, men understood that one of their responsibilities is to defend women and children mm-hmm. with their lives. And so valiant men are prepared to do that. And they're not going to apologize to the woke world around us for that reality. You know, I'm 210 pounds. I'm six one. I'm probably close to double my wife's size or weight. I will defend her. I don't expect her to defend me physically. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will defend her if anybody messes with my wife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that should be the, the, um, the desire of every man that understands his maleness. Mm-hmm. And so, so we have justice on the table. We have defending the weak. And then we have our words. So uh, I really appreciated um, Maxime Bernier last yeah. year. Yeah. When he was ridiculously arrested, what was it in Manitoba, Saskatchewan? Yeah, Manitoba. For violating some COVID rule. And as he's being arrested, the officer said something like, uh, do you have any weapons on you? And he just says, yes, my words, mm-hmm. or just my words. Just my words, yeah. And I thought, that, that's really, that was quick. I don't know if he had that pre, you know, <laughs> pre-planned, but it was really quick. Um, valiant men speak the truth. We call sin, sin. We call evil, evil. We're not afraid to say, this is what a man is. This is what a woman is. Okay, we're not afraid of that. We're not afraid to say, this is what an adult is. This is what a child is. We're not afraid to say, this is right. This is wrong. Most of the fights we fight in our lives and probably for almost our entire lives are with our words. Now, I know how to physically fight. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I fought quite a bit as a child <laughs> back in the day when yeah, we were, you know, it's pretty intense <laughs> when we were, you know, allowed to do that. We did some pretty violent things. And as you know, I've, uh, you know, practiced karate. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not like the fittest guy that's ever walked the face of the planet, but I'm not afraid of physical confrontation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, 99.9% of the fights that I will fight in my life are with my words. Mm-hmm. And um, I do that by speaking the truth and by confronting lies. And the more straightforward and clear you are with your words, the more people are blessed by it. You know, I have three sons. Yep. And um, they're all, I, I love, you know, all my boys. They're, they're really wonderful um, men that I frankly don't even deserve to have raised, but I love them all. Um, but they have different strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've raised, I mean, you have two sons of your own and I'm sure you'll have five or six more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, some men are naturally more verbal. So mm-hmm. some of my boys, a couple of my boys are more verbal, mm-hmm. right? And uh, other guys aren't as verbal. Some are more kinesthetic, you know, some are more intellectual or whatever. But um, so notwithstanding the fact that some men are just naturally more verbal than others, I would encourage every man listening to this podcast to make it a life goal to maximize your capacity to speak well, to speak well, mm-hmm. practice in your car if you need to, but you, you need to learn to speak well, clearly. Because most of the fights you're going to fight with your children, with your wife, with culture are a war of words. Mm-hmm. And so expanding your vocabulary, reading, listening to how other people effectively communicate, practice, taking on teaching opportunities, all fine tunes your ability to 
communicate clearly. Mm -hmm. Some people will be excellent at it because the Lord has gifted them as such. Some people always struggle. That's fine. But maximize whatever your capacity is because a lot of your valor is going to be expressed with your words, Mm -hmm. how you speak. Yep. Yeah, as as you said, say that, one of the thoughts that comes to my mind is the need to know even some basic categories of logical fallacies. And I know you brought up a few of these in a sermon not that long ago from Philippians on being reasonable uh, and speaking about those. And a lot of the arguments that we get thrown at us are, you know, appeals to a wrong authority or are just attacks against men, like ad hominems, right? Yeah. Um, and so understanding those then when you start to, as you've talked about the importance of speaking clearly, you have to think clearly as well and think Christianly yeah, in good. the way that you communicate then. Yeah, our words are always a result of our thoughts. So you can't just learn to speak well if you don't think well, right? Mm-hmm. Just like our emotions are always connected to our thoughts. A lot of people don't understand this. They think of emotions as something that just sort of happen. Your emotional responses to everything in life are directly connected to the truths or lies that you believe, mm-hmm. consciously or subconsciously. Every time you're angry, you're offended, you're uh, you know, sexually attracted, you are um, enjoying life, whatever, whatever the emotion is, it's always connected to your thinking. And if you have stinking thinking, then you're going to be a poor communicator or at least you're going to communicate lies. You may communicate the well, but you communicate lies. So learning to think clearly and in certain categories, frankly, we need more black and white thinkers. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have bought into the lie that everything's gray. It's all shades of gray. It's all nuanced. Even our mm-hmm. educational system, especially in our seminaries, really don't help this because whenever um, a topic is being confronted, it's always a survey. Mm-hmm. Let's survey all the options. There's this... Dr. So-and-so says this, and 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 here's the pluses and minus to each. Okay, let's move on to the next subject. Mm -hmm. So you have students being educated where they know all these different views and theories and theologies, but they don't know what to believe. Mm -hmm. They've never had someone convincingly say, actually, this is right, and this is wrong, and I believe this without question. That's like, whoa, who are you? In fact, it's so bad, it's so bad that in, especially in Canadian culture, when you speak categorically, you're automatically assumed to be arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually certain church denominations, like a lot of the Mennonite churches historically forbade their ministers from speaking categorically because they assumed it was symptomatic of pride. Hmm. So you would never say, church, we need to clean up our act in this area. We need to repent of this. This is true and this is false. It's always suggestions. Hmm. It's always sort of beating around the proverbial bush. So built into those ecclesiastical structures in order to mitigate against the sin of pride is ambiguity, mm-hmm. and uh, which is often mis- mistook for humility, mm-hmm. right? So um, that's, that's a problem. So when valiant men stand for justice, they defend the weak, they speak for truth, and they're principled. So... Now, what I mean by this, the word principles, principled can be kind of stretchy, but it's like, what, what are your values, men? If you're listening to this podcast, have you ever actually articulated what are your values? Everybody has values. They're good or they're bad. What are the values, the things that you hold most dear, the things that you cherish the most, the things that drive your financial decisions, your sexual decisions, your reproductive decisions, mm-hmm. your your uh, church attendance and church service uh, decisions, your political decisions. What are they? Mm-hmm. Well, w- godly men would have, you know, in their set of principles, a high view of marriage. Whether they're married or single, they will have a high view of married marriage. So if they're single, fine. You'll still have a high view of marriage and you'll encourage your married friends to be married well. Mm-hmm. They'll have a high view of the family. They won't speak negatively of children. They won't speak negatively of large families. They will desire children if the Lord grants them. They will seek to be um, godly role models over their children. They'll raise their children for Christ. They'll be strategic in the way they raise their children. They will put a high premium on integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they will speak the truth. 
They they won't be deceptive and and cheats and liars. They'll they'll be honest with their spouses. They'll be accountable to other men. You know they will they won't be lone rangers. They won't um, you know pursue wealth to the exclusion of God. They won't pursue career to the exclusion of God. They'll bring God into these things. So they're men of integrity. They'll be men that value freedom and liberty. Um, and we need more men, obviously, in our culture mm-hmm. to value that. Yeah. It, it, would, it would appear that all the guys that were lauding for their sacrifice in World War I, World War II, et cetera, we don't actually have the guts that they have. Mm-hmm. So we get all these people running around today with poppies on. It's just smoke and mirrors. They don't even understand what the poppy is. And they certainly don't stand for it. They're quite comfortable with tyranny and segregation and all those sorts of stuff. The, the very things they're, they're, they're um, you know, sucking on the teat of the state mm-hmm. for all of their uh, provision rather than working for themselves. And, you know, the, the, these, are, these are childish men that uh, think, uh, they, they think they understand what Remembrance Day is about and what these sacrifices are about, but they actually aren't standing for these principles. So these are, mm-hmm. these are just some principles that um, uh, will define valiant men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, principles are so critical because I think as you talked about emotions are a response to the the beliefs you have. What I see a lot of is people responding emotionally, not mm-hmm. even consistently. Yeah. They kind of respond to the situations at hand uh, based on how they feel in the moment, not based on what they know to be true. Uh, and so when there's... Uh, a culture of fear around them. They feel fear and they respond with fear, not on principle. That's wrong. I got to face up to it, even if it's scary. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's a good one. Are there any others we can think of? Yeah. A couple more. One would be God's glory as opposed to being a man pleaser. Mm-hmm. So we have to have that vertical mindset, that vertical mindset that I'm, I, and I got to remind myself of this because we always, we can slip, right? Mm-hmm. My life fundamentally does not matter apart from God's declaration or decree that it matters because I'm made in his image and likeness. I've been redeemed by the blood of a lamb and my life is to serve him. I'm a servant, a bond servant of Christ. Mm -hmm. So I'm not living for myself, even though I benefit from God's blessings in this life. There's many things I I really like about life. I really enjoy life. There's a lot of blessings to life. And uh, we shouldn't be ashamed or afraid of enjoying those blessings. But ultimately, we're living for God's glory, not for self-acclaim. Now, along the way, there's nothing wrong with encouraging other men. There's nothing wrong with honoring other men. There's nothing wrong with sort of having the heroes of the faith. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible uh, provides us with plenty of examples of men that were honored, were considered heroes of the faith, were spiritual uh, fathers to others, and, and so forth. So let's not be so spiritually reminded that we don't encourage mm-hmm. the valiant men in our midst. But ultimately, 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 at the end of the day, it has to be for God's glory. And then finally, I would say valiant men, this is just so simple, Chris, valiant men are men that are comfortable being male, being men. Mm-hmm. We're comfortable being men. And uh, the difference between men and women are not just biological Mm-hmm. The difference between men and women is we have a different role. Now, a lot of what we do is the same. You know, we eat, we sleep, we travel, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we serve the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we have a responsibility as males to take initiative. This is our responsibility. It's built into us. I don't want to be too... Um, vivid, but even in the sexual act, men are the initiators, Mm -hmm. women are the receivers. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's in the sexual act. So in our God-ordained biology, we are initiators. We are are called to initiate the the spiritual mantle of our family, to, to care for the spiritual mantle of our family, to initiate, to lead our wives, right? And this starts from the beginning. This starts when we we court, we date, whatever you want to call it, in terms of how we're not married to the woman yet, but in terms of how we conduct ourselves, 
you know, we, we posture ourselves as spiritual leaders and wise young single men will posture themselves as spiritual leaders. They'll initiate prayer, robust spiritual conversation. They'll guard the purity of the relationship and then they'll watch and observe for how the woman responds to see if she's responsive to that. So being a man of initiative is a beautiful thing. And if that's done in love, there's no woman on the, on the planet unless she's absolutely racked with sin and just refuses it that will not appreciate that. Uh, we are called to be leaders and some are leaders of two and some are leaders of thousands, but we are called to lead, lead our homes, lead our children. I, I was acutely aware of this, even though I wasn't raised in a home that taught me this, but I was acutely aware of this when I was a younger father that at the end of the day, um, I have to take responsibility for how my kids turn out, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't take absolute responsibility because there's other influences, but I'm not going to pass the buck. Say, well, you know, I did my best, but the school took them out, you mm -hmm. know, or the youth pastor didn't do his job. The, the way your children turn out with few exceptions are a direct result of your competency or lack of competency as a father. And I'll just say that straight up. Mm -hmm. That the way you raise your kids has a huge effect on how they turn out. Again, I believe in the sovereignty of God. There's other factors, mm -hmm. but too often men just sort of throw up their hands. Well, you know, it was just God's will that my son should be a, you know, a complete loser. Um, well, you got to ask, what did you do or not do? So taking leadership seriously, and I say to a lot of the young men that I um, uh, disciple, I say, look, you need to start acting like a married man before you're married. And it's like, wow, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. So I don't want some loser coming around dating my daughter who's still acting like a child. Mm -hmm. So people often ask the question, what's the, when's the minimum age mm -hmm. that you know young people should start dating? Well, it's very simple for me. When the male is acting like a marriable man and the female's acting like a marriable woman, period. If that's at 16, 17, 18, 25, or 40, whatever, mm -hmm. it should be on the younger side. Yep. But that's a cultural thing, right? But I'm not going to let some guy that doesn't have his driver's license, doesn't have a job, doesn't know how to handle money, doesn't know how to have a spiritual conversation, has no prayer life and barely serves in church, date my daughter. The answer mm -hmm. is going to be no. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you will ask before you'll date my daughter, not just before you'll marry. You will ask me for permission to date my daughter. Mm -hmm. And if you don't ask me for permission to date my daughter, then that just demonstrates you're not ready to date yet because you're still acting like a child. Mm -hmm. So um, those those initial uh activities or indicators of manliness are what we I want to instill in the young men that I disciple and of course in my own sons. Mm -hmm. Take initiative. Okay, take leadership. Yes, your wife, your girlfriend, your fiance, whatever might be mad at you. Don't just cower at home hoping it goes away. Approach her, say, honey, we need to talk about this. We need to sort through this. We need to resolve this. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, I was an idiot. I said something stupid. Or Frankly, you, you responded inappropriately. Mm -hmm. uh, these are signs of initiative. Men's are, men are also, uh, biblical men are protective. As we've mentioned earlier, I won't spend too much time in this, but we need to be protective. I will defend my wife and my children under my care in my household to the death. You come to my house, okay, you come to my house and you try to unjustly take my children or wife away, there's one of two things that's gonna happen. You're gonna get injured or I'm gonna get injured. Okay. <laughs> One of us might yeah. get killed. Okay. Yeah. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to allow the state to walk into my house and my property and unjustly take my family away. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't care if it's your forced vaccinations or some sort of forced schooling or whatever it might be. That's not going to happen. Now, if you're coming to arrest my son because he's committed a crime, yes, I'll let you do that. But mm -hmm. um, some would say, oh, this is like old school. This is like non, almost like non-Christian Christianity. I don't care what the culture says. Okay, I have a responsibility to defend my wife and children. I'm responsible for them, not the state, not the church. I'm responsible for them, and I will defend them with my life. Okay, I'm going to do that intelligently, mm -hmm. not irrationally, but I will defend them with my life. I will also be a provisionary man. I will take primary responsibility to provide for my family. My wife bore us five children. I had to do very little work in that. <laughs> okay, I, I don't know how to bear children. I don't have the biology to bear children. I, don't have, I can't nurse children. 
So, I mean, I was an engaged father, I think, uh, you know, within the limits of my job and whatnot. But her primary responsibility, especially in the younger years, was she bore the children. She nurtured those little guys and, you know, did a great job of that. She's a wonderful mother. Well, I'm not going to say, well, you know, why aren't you working 40 hours a week? I'm working 40 hours a week. No. I, I go and I provide for my family. He who does not provide for his own, what does the Bible say? Mm-hmm. Is it's worse than an infidel, yeah. right? And then finally, I will be a responsible man. I will take responsibility for my actions. Have you ever met guys that seem to be never, they can never keep a job? Yep. And it's always the employer's fault. Mm-hmm. It's always someone else's fault, right? Um, I'm not going to be that kind of guy. I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. I'm going to take responsibility for my failures. And there are many. I have many failures. I will take responsibility for that. I'm not going to blame my daddy. I'm not going to blame my mommy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to blame the culture. I'm not going to blame bad churches I've been associated with. I'm not going to blame the premier, the prime minister. I will take full responsibility for my life choices. And all men should do that. These are the marks of valiant men, and we need more of them in society. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned that several of those things, I was thinking about uh, the life of Joseph, a valiant man in many ways who, um, you know, his life took a, he hit the rewind button several times or whatever you want to call it, uh, going from being sold into slavery, rising through the ranks, being falsely accused, imprisoned, being forgotten in prison. And he continued to not play the victim, but take that responsibility and honor. So, um, yeah, some good reminders there. Any final thoughts for our listeners before we uh, conclude for the day? Yeah. Well, like I said, it's Remembrance Day. So in Canada, one of, uh, one of the medals that the armed forces will give out is called a Medal of Military Valor. Mm-hmm. And the Medal of Military Valor can be given to a service person who, quote, performs an act of valor or devotion to duty in the presence of the enemy. And then in in the United States, they have something called the Medal of Honor, and it's given by the three divisions of the Armed Forces. One of them actually has the word valor written on it. And uh, it is given, quote, to one who distinguishes themselves through conspicuous gallantry and uh, intrepidity at the risk of life above and beyond the call of duty. So in our armed forces in Canada, the U.S., we reward valiant men for outstanding acts of service to their country. I want to see us create cultures like that in our churches where we reward with our words, with our encouragement, valiant men who go above and beyond. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the, the culture I'm not going to say the call of duty because we all have a call of duty from the Lord, but who go above and beyond the culture, the norms to do, to show incredible devotion to God mm-hmm. and perform incredible acts for his honor and for his glory. I'd like to see every Christian man in our church and in our country aspire to such a reward because of his personal conduct. Mm-hmm. And so for that to happen, we need to raise up men who love God, who live by their principles. First of all, know what their principles are. Who are prepared to lay down their lives for what's right instead of hiding in fear and waiting for the state or their employer to tell them what's right and wrong. And we need more men to stand up and to defend the vulnerable, to speak out against all the injustices of culture, sexism, racism, segregation, all this foolishness that's going on in our culture. Uh, If you do that, you're a man. And we need more men like you in our country and in the Western world to make a difference for the honor and glory of the ultimate man Mm -hmm. who is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one manlier than the Lord Jesus Christ, as you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing, Aaron. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and to share this podcast. Reminder that you can download the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network app and get this podcast as well as several other great Canadian podcasts and a whole bunch of American 
uh, podcast from our friends down south. Great resources there on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network app. Please also check out the CJXC Radio, Canada's Constant Christian Companion, where you can hear this Leadership Now show uh, on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. and rebroadcast 11 p.m. on Thursdays. Make sure to subscribe and tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Roth.